This episode is brought to you by Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket for free. Their main mission is to create a completely new bridge between companies and shareholders and really to reinvent investor relations as we know it. You can try out Quarter today by typing in Q-U-A-R-T-R in your app store of choice. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R or simply click the link in the show notes. And there's five key points to remember about Quarter. One, Quarter is completely free. Two, they include companies from over 16 markets today and plan to add more over time. Three, they easily allow new companies on their platform by simply requesting the ticker of the company and they'll get back to you instantly. Four, users can now leave reactions while listening to calls to make their voices heard. And five, again, it's free and I only back products that I believe in and products that I use every single day. Quarter is an everyday part of my process and I wouldn't live without it. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Try it out today. With inflation at 39-year highs, you don't need a PhD in economics to know that the $100,000 in your bank account could turn to 94 k very soon. So what can you do? Experts suggest investing in alternative assets that historically thrive in high inflation environments. In fact, there's one unexpected alternative asset that appreciates by roughly 23% annually on average when inflation is above 3%, like right now, which is better than real estate and gold. And it has almost no correlation to public equities, much like the ones you hear in this podcast. Would you believe that this alternative asset class was contemporary art? Although it's surprising, using art to safeguard wealth isn't a new idea. The ultra-wealthy have been doing it for centuries. And now you can too with Masterworks.io. It's the new tech platform valued at over $1 billion that, that lets you invest in paintings by Andy Warhol, Picasso, and Banksy, just like stocks. You don't need hundreds of millions to add art to your portfolio anymore. You just need a solid internet connection. Demand for Masterworks is as high as ever, but you can get priority access to their offerings by going to masterworks.art slash value. That's masterworks.art slash value. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer for more. I'm also excited to announce our newest sponsor, Tegas. Tegas has the world's largest collection of instantly available interviews on all the public and private companies you care about. All you have to do is log in and type in a stock ticker or a keyword. For example, if you're interested in gaming stocks, you can type in RBLX for Roblox, or type in the keyword metaverse and instantly read hundreds of calls on the company and industry. Tegas actually makes primary research fun and effortless too. Instead of weeks and months, you can learn a new industry or company in hours, and all from those that know it best. Now, I only sponsor products that I use every day, and Tegas is no exception. Since joining, I spend nearly all my time reading Tegas calls on existing companies and new ideas into my portfolio, and I know you will too. So if you're interested, head on over to tegas.co forward slash value hive for a free trial to see for yourself. Again, that's tegas.co forward slash value hive. This week, we have a returning guest, Peter Mantis of Logos LP. You probably know him on Twitter um, as Logos LP. Uh, Peter runs um, very um, you know long-term oriented uh, investment partnership, and this entire episode is solely focused on life sciences and the biotech space and what Peter is seeing on the ground. And for those, if if we're if we're going to paint a picture here before before Peter dives in, um, the biotech ETF in general, the XBI, um, 
is down close to 50% since just the beginning of, of, of uh, February of 2021. So in a year's time, it's basically been cut in half. And there's a lot of implications for that. There's a lot of biotech focused firms that are probably blowing up, which, which, Peter can, which Peter can give us insight into. But more importantly, there are some extremely interesting value opportunities for those that want to learn about the space and, and kind of get up to speed. So um, Peter's going to give us a crash course on kind of what he's seen, uh, where he's looking to kind of invest some, some, some money into, into these certain biotech life sciences spaces and answer common questions that he's received over Twitter. Um, so Peter, thanks again so much for doing this. Uh, I am not a biotech slash life sciences, um, I would say connoisseur. I, I have chauffeur's knowledge about a very small part of this space. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, why don't you start with what you're seeing on the ground and kind of what you're hearing from some of these biotech CEOs that you've been talking to over the last few months? Yeah, sure. Uh, great to be back and uh, always enjoy these conversations. Um, so uh, I spoke to my partner about this a lot and I, I've dived pretty deep into the life science space lately and the the best analogy and this is not the most perfect analogy but the best analogy that i can think of in terms of what's going on in life science space is equivalent to negative oil and the reason i say that is obviously the energy markets are very different in supply demand dynamics and obviously oil is a very different um business than the life science but in terms of the sentiment coupled with the un highly unusual circumstances is sort of the uh, what I like to call a negative oil moment for healthcare, particularly biotech. Um, so part of it is I can I can talk about all the data points so I'm blue in the face where you have you know record record number of companies trading below cash to you know 20 year uh, low in valuations in the XBI. Uh, we could talk about you know how in the last ten that we've had less. We're at 10-year lows with respect to actual clinical readouts. Like, absolute, if you, if you want to blow up the healthcare sector, the biotech sector, shut down hospitals. Like, that's really what you, what you, would, what you want Sounds to do. Like and that's what happened. Yeah, right. Um, not to mention, we haven't had an FDA head for 10 months, which is wild to me. Like, I think one was just appointed recently or a, month, a couple months ago, but... Um, this is all to say that cocktail mixed with sort of in February of last year, you had a lot of preclinical biotech and medical device companies coming at IPOing and really coming at frothy valuations. Um, so you have that dynamic plus this sort of highly unusual cocktail leading to massive declines and just absolute obliteration in the space. Um, and we could talk about some of the macro environment, macro dynamics with respect to biotech. Uh, so, for example, you know, as of 2020, there's over 6,200 molecular compounds that are in clinical trials for phase one to three. That's the highest in history. We could talk about how EV to cash or cash levels, there's a record number of biotech companies that are trading below cash. The XBI is in the longest and largest drawdown in history. We are, we are in unprecedented territory when it comes to biotech, when it comes to the healthcare life science space. Now, some of the major players like Pfizer, you know, GSK, and some of these other guys, 
there's some are over earning just he's not over earning but i'm saying there are some players that are over earning due to covid and some that didn't get as impacted due to covid but there's this sort of second wave that's coming that's going to be a boon for the life science sector and particularly on non-covid healthcare. um i spoke to about a dozen biotech uh ceos medical device ceos and to say that uh to say that COVID has impacted their business is a massive understatement. And I don't think the market is pricing in the whiplash that's about to happen here. Um, it, it ranges from complete shutdown of a trial, which obviously delays readout. Um, and that will co cause problems. I could dive into why that will cause a problem to, you know, if you're doing a neuro-oncology trial, well, there's only so many neurologists in a given state or in a given, or in the United States. And if that guy tests positive for COVID, well, he's got a quarantine for 14 days. And then that guy can't do that trial for that time, period of time. And so there's another delay. So it ranges from full shutdown to like your specialists being quarantined. And to say that has been a uh, massive problem for biotech is is an understatement i think what the market the market's pricing in two things these delays and also the valuations at the peak and this bubble popping and obviously this other like bear market that we're in but what they may be underpricing is the sort of whip effect that may come out of this which is omicron going away and clinical trials opening up uh and coupled with the level of compounds that are currently in phase one or three trials. Hmm. If I have a stance and, and this is something, again, this is one of those heuristics um, that might not always be true, but kind of how Bitcoin and crypto is seen as farther out on the risk curve and, and, and that, and that might be an indicator of, of investor risk appetite. Um, People have, have 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 said in the past that that biotech that that the biotech space is 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 similar to crypto in that if you see biotech getting a bid or if money is inflowing into biotech that the risk appetite is kind of still there within the investor community and so is is what you're saying is that this drawdown potentially isn't necessarily a function of um, investor risk appetite declining in the biotech space but more so the incredible external impacts that kind of COVID and all these shutdowns have had on the space. It's, 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 it's a bit of both. It's that, and that's what makes it uh, highly unusual where you have this incredible cocktail of like preclinical IPOs, a lot of even maybe even sketchy biotech IPOs in February, 2021, literally the peak of sort of the art mania. And then coupled with sort of, uh, constant delays and shutdowns of companies with the real science uh, that haven't seen results or readouts. And readouts is the lifeblood of a biotech company. Um, so what's a readout? And the reason for that, like, uh, for, like a phase one, uh, positive data on a phase one, positive data on a phase two, or approval from phase one to phase two, or going from Got phase it. two to phase three. Got it. The patient data is really important. And the reason for that is because in the biotech space, and maybe people, uh, just to, for people who don't know, the uh, the patent of a drug starts, the clock ticks, not when it comes to market, it ticks when it's developed. And so every day that goes by in a biotech where it's not on the market, it's terminal value gets impacted. 
And so if I'm constantly being delayed on a phase one or phase two, because my oncologist has to be quarantined or I have to literally shut down. And we yeah. know of some really promising drug companies in Australia and Australia was pretty rough with the lockdowns where they shut down the country. It was, in, I think in um, October, September. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we, their trials are gone. All these trials are finished. And so that delays, let's say three, six months out of, of a reading, of a data reading. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sort of a race where we're like, okay, well, the clock's ticking on this patent. You know, I got so many years for it to come to market. It's going to take longer to come to market just because of the nature of how FDA approvals work. And that's going to affect valuations of a lot of these, these companies. But then you also have sort of this frothiness, like where a lot of companies with preclinical, not even phase one drugs coming to market at valuations that are insane, like 500 million, 600 million, 700 million, where you could find phase three drug candidates at less than cash at the same time. So it was just this private public dynamic where the private markets, there's been a record, record amount of funding in the biotech space in the private markets. And now as they sort of unloaded on the public markets, it's just led to these catastrophic uh, drawdown. Some, some are down 90%, you know, 85 Um and that's sort of bringing down the whole group and a lot of hedge funds and, and large funds will use the XBI as a, as a hedge on, on risk generally. So the short interest is very high. I think the short interest on the XBI is at a record. I think it's like 50%, something crazy. Wow. Um, part, of, part of that is great trade, but also part of it is a lot of, of um, funds will use it as a hedge generally. Yeah. As a general hedge. So, okay. So if we, if we understand kind of this backdrop of let's just generalize it as peak pessimism inside, inside the biotech space, how do you go from, cause this, we can, we can, we can almost frame this as like a top-down approach, right? So you see, you see an industry, you see it's in distress, you see the, you know, just, just massive amounts of, of, of capital leaving the space. You see, um, you see companies down 90%. Some are, you said are, are literally in like net net territory. Like if Ben Graham came yeah. back from the dead, he would probably start in biotech, which is, <laughs> which is incredibly fascinating. So how do you go from this, this, this top down thesis of, okay, you know, XBI's bombed out charts are bombed out. Socks are down 90% and then start to pick from the rubble, which businesses, which business models, which companies you, you think are interesting. I think, I think, it's an interesting question. I think the way to play, I mean, there are some companies that are going to come out of uh, this sort of bloodbath that are going to do 20, 30, 40 X. There will be. Um, I think for, for generally, I don't know, if, unless you're super specialized in that area. Um, I think the better way is to play some of the sort of what I like to call taxes and tolls on biotech. Um, because, you know, these biotech companies have the most cash that they've ever had in a long time. Right. And uh, Big Pharma now has about half a trillion in cash just from COVID. Um, so companies like Pfizer have mega, mega cash balances. Johnson Johnson's got a big cash balance. Um, and companies like Novartis, they're facing some pretty big patent clips. Um, so Bristol-Myers and Lilly have the best, I would say, um, patents coming out like the best sort of blockbuster pipelines um but even then like it's there there's going to have to be some acquisitions happening here 
So you have this again, this sort of like, you know, kerosene with a with a match here where you got record cash at Big Pharma, biotech's got record cash. Well, they're where are they gonna spend that money? Well, they gotta spend it somewhere, right? Some of these companies need to have a drug on market uh to, to survive. So I think the the way to play it would be the tax and tolls of life science and uh, healthcare. Now the problem is that a lot of the market knows that the, the sort of companies under the tax and tolls are some of the best companies in the world. Like think of the Thermo Fishers and the Danaher's and your Charles Rivers, et cetera, you know, your West Pharmaceuticals. And, but they've also had a little bit of a COVID bump too, because it, in making, you know, 3 billion or 4 billion vaccines, like they're, they're busiest as they've ever been. Um, but it's a sort of second wave that we want to bet on. Uh, that's non-COVID related. So the hard part in betting on the tax and tolls or picks and shovels, as some of want to say, is how do we parse out the companies that have over-earned too much on the COVID side right. versus the, the, the tail with this, this massive wind that's about to hit um, you know, in the future. That's where the balance is tough to 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 figure out and part of that is looking at capital allocation i think i think that's how one would to figure out so like if we look at uh, charles rivers um you know they are involved with 80 percent the last two years i think it's 80 percent of all fda approved drugs went through charles rivers so if and they're investing heavily in gene therapy so if we understand their sort of market share um, and there's a lot of other CROs, et cetera, but I'm just, as an example, if we can figure out where that money might go to as these drugs go, as these over 6,000 compounds go from phase one to three, then I think that's probably uh, the better bet versus betting on like this sort of biotech stock that's going to be, you know, a 50 bagger or hundred bagger in the next five years. What you mentioned, Charles River, and uh, again, so all of this stuff is going to be going to be new to me. So it's kind of exciting. I get to, I get to learn about a lot of different businesses. So walk us through what Charles river does and, and kind of why they're, they're such a good business. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving a cursory overlook at their financials. They've gone from call it 1.7 billion in revenue to almost 3 billion in revenue in the course of, you know, four and a half years with margins expanding from 9% to 13%. So um, yeah, definitely some operating leverage there. What, what, what's their business and, 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 and why are they fascinating at this, at this point in time? I would say my favorite, my favorite of the picks and shovels is West. And I can talk about some of those, some of the intangibles is why West has one of the biggest melts I've ever seen, if not the biggest melt I've ever seen. Like okay, there's yeah. a few companies that are like, that are like, wow, this is a moat right? Like you got Googles, you know, you can talk about like SGPI or Moody's, but then there's like, like, wow, like I don't, this is a moat, like this is wild stuff. But, e but even Charles Rivers, like they, so what Charles Rivers does historically since the, I think it was the forties or even earlier than that, they, they would sell mice to research labs. They would be a research organization where in order to test it, to, to bring a preclinical drug to, to clinical trials or to do a clinical trial, unfortunately you have to test on animals. Right, it's actually uh, an FDA requirement. Now, there's some software coming out that get, sort of gives a uh, virtual animal or a virtual body, um, huh. but even then, it's it's sort of, um, it's sort of, you know, it's not perfect. 
And it right. is it is a simulation. It does synthesize what the chemical reaction would be on a on a mouse, right? Or 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 uh, you know an animal, but or there actually there are software that does virtual bio simulation. Like rather than testing on a human being, let's let's look at how this chemical compound would interact with uh, a person with this genetic makeup. Yeah. And but this is all to say you still have to hire company like Charles Rivers due to the regulatory aspect of having these tested on mice originally. Um, and then they also are sort of, they're the biggest CRO in, in the United States, I think in the world. So CRO is a research organization. So anytime a drug's going through discoveries, drugs going through, um, you know, these clinical trials or preclinical, they need to be researched. They do have other businesses, like they do have a CMO, like contract manufacturing, or CDMO, which is again, the, the, um, you know, making the drugs, but typically they're known as the, um, the research organization, and they have a pretty good moat give on the given on the fact that they have huge intangible assets, like years and decades and decades of research, and the switching costs are pretty high. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're doing a preclinical study, the, the regulation requires. Uh, model strains, model uh, certain kinds of strains that must be tested for a particular compound. Charles Rivers pretty much is the biggest database of that. Um, and so from anything from diagnostics to, to uh, you know, any other kind of compound that's required, they're going to be involved in that kind of business. Uh, they also have like incredibly uh, uh, sophisticated scientific expertise, especially in gene editing. Uh, and they're, they're investing a lot in, you know, creating and maintaining specific strains and animal characteristics for gene therapies. Hmm. Um, and gene therapy is going to probably be the big, if you look at earnings transcripts or even the healthcare presentations for Thermo Fisher, Danaher, Replogen, Charles Rivers, they're all investing heavy in gene therapy because they think it's, we're, we're on the cusp now where it's, going to be the norm like recently a couple of weeks ago someone they did a trial well 10 years ago they did a trial on car t-cell therapy which basically is um changing the function of a t-cell for any human being uh, and this is for a cancer trial oncology and they recently revisited that patient and they found that this person's been cancer free for now it's 10 years so we're, we're wow. starting to get to a point where gene therapy, CAR T cell therapy is like, it's getting there. Like this yeah. is, a, I don't want to say a cure for cancer, but like it's game changing stuff, right? right? And so they're making these bets that this is the next leg for their growth. Um, and so anyway, so Charles Rivers is investing heavily in that and they see like 25%, 30% a year sort of CAGR and the revenue growth. But in terms of my favorite of the picks and shovel space is probably West pharmaceuticals uh given their their regulatory capture and they have they probably have the widest mode of any of the big picks and shovels companies um i could dive into it or i don't know if you had any questions as to yeah no let's 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 dive right into it because i love like one of the benefits of, of of talking to somebody like you is that i can find ideas and, and put ideas on my watch list that i otherwise wouldn't have so like crl was a perfect example and so i've i've, I've heard of 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 west pharmaceuticals um but i but i don't really know what they do so i you know for for myself and and my listeners i think it'd be great if you could dive into that business real quick yeah sure so so west 
most people think of it as a syringe company. So anytime you take a vaccine and it's getting pricked in your arm, that's probably a West needle coming into your arm. Or if you are diabetic and you're taking an insulin shot, that's going to be a West package, right? So they're the, they own 70% of the market in terms of drug packaging and delivery. Um, And about 90% of biologic drugs since 2019 went through West pharmaceuticals. And it's not just syringes, but also delivery of drugs, like vials, like how a drug, these, these molecular compounds are quite complex. So how a drug interacts with the vial, right? If the vial breaks and it exposes 40 people, that, 40 nurses, like how is that going to, yeah, that could kill somebody, right? So right. we just don't know what the dynamics of some of these molecules are for complex drugs. So they're involved with the packaging of, the, of those drugs, particularly the delivery. So syringes, vials, stoppers, things like that. These are all regulated by the FDA. These all have to be ISO manufacturing certified. Um, and they are sort of uh, the gatekeeper in terms of delivering these drugs to human beings. So they had a massive boost last year due to COVID. If you're producing a 4 billion vaccines or whatever it is, and they're all going to be delivered by syringes well that's yeah. massive for Wes. pretty easy right. to do that math. it's great it's fantastic right. yeah but the key here is that like like i said like when you the moment a patent starts it starts on development and when you're going through clinical trials you have to list by law the package or delivery mechanism of the drug on an application in the fda and you're not going to go switch that unless there's a major packaging error if it cost me 40 million dollars which is ballpark figure, let's say, for a phase two gene therapy clinical trial, let's say phase three, and the delivery mechanism is a certain way, let's say it's by syringe in the skin, I'm not going to go respend 70 million because I'm thinking of using another manufacturer to deliver the drug, right? Like it's too costly. It's too insane. And for not only is it, not only is it, I don't know if the, my West competitor can really do better than West, but also I don't have the time to delay because then I go, I sort of take time away from market from this drug being on the market because the patent clock that it has. Yep. Um, and then the other kicker is once that drug, let's say a generic insulin drug, is off the patent cliff, the generic manufacturer of the drug is not going to go anywhere else but West because like they're not going to they don't want to go through a generic trial. Meaning let's retrial this insulin product that works and use it. And just for the fact that it's got a new syringe, right? yeah. it's not, not going to happen. So that's where the moat comes in. It's, it's unmovable. Mm-hmm. So these, so once you're listed on that delivery mechanism, the moment this thing touches the skin or pricks the skin, what's they've got, they've got you and they got pricing power on that. They can charge pretty much whatever they want. You and it's because of their, super complex manufacturing facility west can produce 40 billion components a year uh they charge you know they they the costs are pennies and they're charging in the dollars right or met or many 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 cents right yeah. so there's just this massive uh return on capital for that business and if you're going to bet on well trials are starting to open up delivery mechanisms are going to be either a syringe or a pill, basically, you know, there's going to be some nuances about some other companies like Clearpoint Neuro, for example, can deliver certain kinds of brain or neurological disease uh, therapies directly through the brain, 
right? And so that, that right there is a mode as well. But in general, if you're talking about other kinds of gene therapies or other kinds of uh, the, uh, drugs or therapies for the body, it's going to be either a molecule or syringe. And they're going to own the market for that. So I'd rather, that's one of my favorite companies and why I think the moats are so big there. You mentioned a company that can transmit stuff just straight through the brain and my own brain just kind of short circuited trying to figure that out. So you said, you said it was, it was clear point neuro. So what exactly do they do yeah. again? So clear point neuro, it is a real time MRI guided. Uh, they start off real time MRI guided uh, procedures. So for example, if someone's got Parkinson's disease or sort of uh, another kind of neurological indication, a neurosurgeon can, do the surgery in the brain at the same time they're doing an MRI and they can do it with millimeter, submillimeter accuracy. Typically in a neurologic or an operation, you know, you take the MRI, the MRI is static, and then you kind of figure out, you know, based on that image, where can I go within that procedure base? In this case, they started off with this MRI guided real time uh, solution that surgeons can sort of get into the brain or do a particular um, procedure. But the sort of extra piece of this business is there's a number of therapies, especially in gene therapy, where we can't, we not only, not, not that we can't, we shouldn't deliver uh, through a transfusion on the arm. Like I don't want a, a neural, if I have a sort of brain indication, I don't want, and I need a gene therapy, I don't want that hitting my liver or I don't want it hitting my kidney. Right. And so the brain has a unique structure in it called the blood brain barrier, which sort of is like, imagine like a fortified Chinese wall uh, in your brain. Yeah. And it sort of uh, prevents certain things to, that are coming through the blood to enter into the brain. And so what the second piece in clear point neuro is they can do real time MRI guided seven millimeter delivery of, let's say a gene therapy drug directly into the brain. And so that's useful because if I have, let's say Parkinson's and I have, there's a cure for, or there's trials for gene therapy for Parkinson's. Um, I don't want that trial hitting anywhere else in the body. And if I can go right into right. the brain and, you know, fix that, uh, or, you know, not fix that patient, but rather um, help that patient go through that process, then obviously that's huge. And gene therapy trials are very expensive. Gene therapy costs are very expensive, right? It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, per, it once it's approved per patient. And once the delivery mechanism is listed, which in this case would be, let's say, clear point cannula, there's your moat that accretes right. a lot of value to that business. Just, and this is all just regulatory capture, right? And I, I think that's, that's probably the best way to think about the biotech space and the Drawdown XBI is what are the businesses that have regulatory capture when that thing over there unwinds and starts rallying? And that's sort of the best play that I, I would think about doing. Got it. In terms of countries or just, you know, kind of staying in the, in the U S or, you know, looking at, 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 at Canadian businesses, where are you, typically finding the most asymmetric ideas is it is it in the u.s biotech space is it is it in the canadian biotech space uh, you know where 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 are the most opportunities it's really um 
it, it's not necessarily uh, jurisdictional specific, but rather uh, indication specific. So for example, there are things going on for the brain that are wild right now. So there's, there's probably gonna be a, uh, a new glioblastoma, which is uh, brain cancer um, treatment. There hasn't been one in 20 years almost, um, or at least a, this one is extends life for a certain kind of glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. There is a DIPG drug that's in phase three right now that's extending, DIPG is uh, effectively, it's cancer of the glial cells, which is sort of, your brain has these glial cells, which is sort of like neuro cells, you know, it connects with the spine and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's DIPG is common for children. It's brain cancer for kids, basically. Like that's okay. the, it's awful. It's, it's a death sentence, effectively. So there's a phase three trial going on right now uh, that helps assist or um, extends life for those children, right? So the, the brain is the, I think that's one of the more interesting areas. And it's also, the brain's also been like the forgotten organ to a degree. Um, not many, we've focused a lot on the lungs and like cancers in general, but especially during COVID, you know, like the lung has been the focus, but the brain is sort of the, it's like the last frontier. And we, we know, we don't know much about the brain, to be honest, we're still learning a lot about the brain. It's, right. it's, it's such a complex organ uh, that we're still learning quite a bit, but that, that the brain is sort of the area where we're seeing the most amount of excitement. And even if you look at brain computer interfaces, like there's, I mean, Elon Musk Neuralink's a bit of a sideshow, but there's, you know, BlackRock Neurotech, which is partnered with ClearPoint, actually, that is doing, that actually has FDA breakthrough device for uh, a brain computer interface. Like they have uh, allowed already a, uh, someone who is a paraplegic to tweet using his brain. It's already happened. Uh, there's, there's, there's already, they're already done a trial where they can have a prosthetic limb move using someone's brain uh or or can direct you know a mouse so it's already here uh it's obviously for it to come to commercial is going to take some time but the things that are going on in the brain is pretty wild stuff right now and that's where i'm most excited and more specifically the indication of, the, of therapy rather than jurisdiction because there's good science everywhere like anywhere there's commonwealth jurisdiction with strong ip and patent laws mm -hmm. you're gonna have some right? Like the UK yeah. is going to have great companies. Uh, Australia is going to have great companies, Canada, uh, US, they're all, they're all going to have great companies. It's more the, where the focus is. If, well, one thing before I ask another question, cause you brought up Neuralink and, and I, I think I saw on Twitter and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you saw this too, but apparently like 12 of the 23, or I'm getting these numbers wrong, 11 of the 23 monkeys that got the Neuralink chip inserted into their brain, they've just died. Um, right. And it's just, like you, you kind of say it's a sideshow. And what do you, what do you mean by that? Like what is for those? Okay. So first, for those that don't know, uh, can you explain kind of the mission of, 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 of Neuralink and then maybe just give us kind of your opinion on, on why you think that might be just a, just a sideshow and not a potential like real scientific application. Well, it's, it's such a shame that those monkeys died. And if that's, if, 
I mean, there should be an investigation around that just from animal cruelty. Like there are really specific regulations around testing on animals um, for scientific and health reasons. And like, I don't know what the, what has, what happened there, but that won't, that won't uh, be very good in the eyes of the law. If, if these monkeys are just dropping dead, it's like just cruel. Um, I, I don't like the, Neural, it's hard for me to comment on Neuralink too much because I don't know what's going on on the hood. It just, I know they're not at nowhere near as advanced as uh, people think they are or might think they are. Like the real leader right now is um, BlackRock Neurotech. There's a couple of other ones that are coming up, but BlackRock Neurotech's been doing it for 10 years and they already have FDA breakthrough device designation. Whereas Neuralink, I don't, I'm not even sure what the purpose of Neuralink is, whether it, are we, are they looking for a therapy with respect to, you know, allowing paraplegics to move their arms or is it just like Elon Musk trying to, you know, implant advertisements in our brains or something crazy. Right. Like, I don't know what the purpose <laughs> is, but in, but in terms of the actual science, they're not really seen as a serious candidate for any of the major breakthroughs in brain computer interface that will help a patient population, so to speak. So for example, like having someone use their brain to grab a cup or a pencil or to, to tweet something or to uh, create a quality of life that is going to make themselves uh, happier and filler, fuller in their lives. Um, definitely, they're, they're not close to that, I would say. So. Got it. And the next question I had, and, and, and this is kind of a, you know, I, I'm not sure where this, where this question will lead, but it's something that's messing around in my brain. If we look at the human body and, and kind of all the biotech applications inside of us is like this one giant potential business opportunity where you've got heart, liver, lungs, kidneys, brain, um, skin, all that stuff. And if you kind of put your investor's hat on or maybe even just business business person's hat on and, and you say, okay, what are like the most profitable parts of, 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 of kind of our internal organs? Like, like where, where is the most value? And, um, you know, again, from, from kind of the outside looking in my, my theory is that it's kind of on, on the more fringe end of, 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 of things kind of on, on the farther end of the, of the network in terms of brains and, and kind of thinking in like neurology, um, but are there other kind of business opportunities? Like, for example, I know dermatology and like dealing with acne and all these skin conditions is wildly profitable. So are there any specific regions or organs that might be more profitable than others when it comes to trying to figure out how to navigate? Like, okay, like if I want to invest in biotech, like what are some of the better spaces? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a good question. I don't know if if a body parts is the right approach versus business model. So for example, um, you know, like certain medical device companies are going to have stupid margins, yeah. right? West pharmaceuticals, you know, they, it costs them pennies to make something and they're going to charge dollars for it. So like business models, I think are, are a bit more useful, uh, but there's, there's also just 
there's certain things where um, just the science is changing so rapidly that they actually become uh, really good businesses. So there, you know, there's a company that, you know, they, they'll have, uh, there's a company called Shimmerx in uh, the United States, CMRX is a symbol, and they have a BARDA contract. And that's basically like a human health and services contract for the exclusive supply of a smallpox vaccine for, you know, the event of warfare kind of thing, right? And so the margins on that, it's a recurring revenue contract. And the margins on that is like 95%, right? Like it's wow. silly, right? And um, that's the company that also has that DIPG phase three trial uh, gone going. So part of their business model is like, well, I got this sort of like massive recurring cash flow. I don't need to dilute my shares. I can just plow it into all the drugs that I'm, so they are these other cancer drugs we're developing. Um, so it's, it's more about, um, it's hard for me to say if there's anything that's particular in terms of the body, but there are certain things that are just better businesses. Like Abbott Labs is a fantastic business, right? Like, and they're, they're one of the most innovative companies in the world. Like, you know, they're coming up with tools to detect certain things in the blood that historically could never, you know, didn't exist. Um, they're coming up with patches and, or chips in the skin to detect your blood sugar or, you know, the level of proteins that are in the blood. Uh, it's just some wild, wild stuff. That's a good business, right? Um, Interwood Surgical or Edward Life Sciences, those are good businesses too. Like you have a heart, like those are, a heart is a very important organ, right? Like if you have a heart replacement or catheter, you're going to, probably replace that ever so often or there is a high recurring level of revenue there like um, you know the razor razor blade model right right so a lot of these sort of medical device companies have that specific to them uh, and those are pretty good businesses and that's why a lot of them have you know like hundred thousand percent sort of returns like intuitive surgical i don't know what it's done in the last i think it's like 100x in 20 years i'm stupid right um and so a lot of a lot of it is related to the model rather than the body part the body part it's hard like it, you know it's um you, one one way you can think about it is just what are the largest indications in the world what what groups of therapies have the most patient population right i was reading another day that if someone figure out it's a cure to baldness they would just be like mega 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 billions of dollars in revenue right mm -hmm. um so it's it's you know, some, some indications and, and, and treatments are just very minor. There's like maybe a hundred thousand people who have it and that's it, or 10,000 people or 3000 people. Um, some are, some are pretty big. Cancer is usually the highlight of it because it's pretty vast and it's, it's historically been a death sentence. Right. So that's where it's becomes uh, a, a, more of a, analysis like dipg for kids is rare very rare but it's if a kid has it it's he's it's death sentence so it's hard to say what organ is rather than i i, I like to focus more on business model like like you know focus on a west or a uh, like a replogen for example where there's locked in contracts for multiple years you know i know exactly where the business is going to be in 20 years the problem with those businesses is that they're always at expensive multiples or optically expensive multiples. Yeah. Because everyone knows that they're okay, so obviously no one's going to replace them and their movement in the syringe market. So when I look at things like that, I'm like, okay, well, like if I can add 
the best time to buy those incredible businesses are times of unusual circumstances. And that's, that's why I'm more interested in that complex versus some of the other just pure esoteric biotechs uh, here. Yeah, no, I was, it, uh, you, you created kind of the perfect segue where you have West pharmaceuticals trading at, you know, again, optically expensive, but basically 10 times next 12 months revenues and for call it like a 2% levered free cash flow yield. So it's a tremendous business. Everybody knows it's a tremendous business, which kind of leads me into two questions. And I'll, I'll, I'll ask the first one. And then, and then after that, I can, I can kind of proceed to the next one. So the first question is for every West pharmaceutical there, you know, and for every West pharmaceutical and Abbott labs, there are probably dozens and dozens of, of, of failed biotechs. And, and, and I think biotech for the most part gets a bad rap um, because of all kind of like the failed, not necessarily pump and dumps, but basically, you know, Hey, like we've got this drug and basically biotech is that one industry where your uncle texts you about it that doesn't own any stocks. And he's like, Hey, my buddy just texted me about this penny stock biotech. That's about to get phase two. Um, and so like, it kind of, it kind of gets a bad rap there, but how can investors that want to learn more about the space, how can they avoid kind of those traps? I mean, there's the obvious ones like the OTC markets tend to have more of these kind of pump and dump schemes, but what are some generic red flags that, um, laymen like myself can kind of look out for as I, as I navigate the minefield? It's a hard, it's a hard, the best, I, I always, the way that I would think about this is start with the customers of the picks and shovels and see where they're allocating capital. And then I would dive into some, what are some of the leaders in those spaces that are sort of, um, you know, innovating in a way that's unique. Um, it's hard, it's hard to evaluate, like the, the biotech space is very much similar to, to the music business. If you have a hit, it can make or break your business. You know, make, you can, an artist can make or break your label, just like a hit drug can literally, look what is done for Moderna, right? Right. Um, and as their CEO, like, eliminates Twitter and sells hundreds of millions of stock. <laughs> but, but, but that's how one should think about it. The hard part is figuring out, there's two things that are difficult in biotech, which is figuring out, A, whether this is, the science is real, whether there's safety concerns, whether there's, the management is sound, and then also, when are the when is the exact patent clip for this, and what's their go to market market strategy, right? Like, are they going to license this thing out, or are they going to invest a, sh- a crop load into sales and marketing and have an infrastructure? That's where the difficulty comes in. And are they going to manufacture, or are they going to hire an outsourcing company? When you manufacture yourself, you're subject to what they call it FDA CMC audits. And so like, you know, the FDA comes in and notice some dust on the floor. Ah, shut it down. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of beast, whereas certain other kinds of business models can, can um, be more lucrative or more promising longer term. It's, it's, I would say I, I always start with the picks and shovels and then I like go down. I'm like, okay, what are, what are they looking at? What do they see as the biggest, uh, the biggest winners and who are the biggest customers? So if I look at, there's a trend right now, for example, there's two trends. First is gene therapy is, is, is going to be real. And there's a lot of investment in, by all the companies. I just did a deal with gene therapeutics, right? For like 3 billion or something like that. So I would say, okay, like 
I'm seeing Charles Rivers invest in gene therapy. I'm seeing Revlogen invest in gene therapy. Uh, obviously, there's a major tailwind here. Pfizer's making a deal here with Beam. Like, let me look into Beam. Let's see what they're doing. Let me dive deep into their science and what is their indications that they're curing. Does Beam have partnerships with any other companies that I'm not aware of? Or what are some of the competitors or people focused in that space? And I sort of go down from there. Um, it's hard to to learn specifically the science without really spending a lot of time on it. And some things I just don't invest in at all. Like I just have hard and fast rules and you, you develop that over experience too. Um, but it's harder to invest in like a, you know, like you said, like a phase two company that jumps the 300% of the day on an approval versus the picks and shovels piece where you have really high visibility into that revenue over 20 years. Right. Uh, versus, you know, that sort of IP hit business. What I like to do in biotech is I like the businesses that are that um, have a unique catalyst in addition to their sort of um, science heavy innovation. So, for example, Shimerex, you know, they have an eight year recurring revenue stream from this BARDA contract. It's almost like a Department of National Defense contract. And so you'll have very, you'll have no dilution risk once they get this contract. It's still there's they've already been subject as an exclusive provider, and they're the only real uh, solution right now for DIPG. And once that gets approved, okay, well then the stock's gonna jump. And it was at the time, like uh, earlier this year, when the at peak pe- pe- pessimism, it was trading below the value of that Barda contract. Wow. Right. Like, so it's like, that's insane. Like that does not make sense. Right. This is where we are in the market. We're in a bear market where everyone's afraid of everything, sell everything first and then ask questions later. But that's where that was at. You know, another one I like is Casia. They have a treatment, a single molecule treatment for Pexilla, for a glioblastoma, but they're unique because they don't actually manufacture anything um, or they don't spend any money on drug discovery. They literally lock on the door of like Pfizer and say, Hey, like, I noticed you have this brain drug cancer that you're not really focused on. Do you mind if we buy it from you for like 2 million bucks and we'll take you to the trials and, you know, if it works out, we'll pay you a royalty, you know? So it's almost like a, it's almost like a private equity style um, approach to the process. Like so that's unique sale. It's like, it's like a garage. Exactly. Sale for, yeah. For it's like, it's like, you know, it's like even music business and you, you go to universal records, like, Hey, I noticed you have this artist, Justin Bieber, right? He's not, you're not really using him. Like, you know, you spend some money developing him, but like, because you're busy with Ariana Grande, I'll, I'll take him off your hands. And if he becomes anything, I'll, I'll give you some royalty stream. Right. Yeah. And then you'll take that Justin Bieber and then you'll go to the other various pharmaceutical companies. And because selling into China is very different than selling into the EU, which is very different than selling into the United States. Hmm. And so maybe you go back to the original uh, guy that you bought it from and you say, look, like, I don't have a sales team in the EU. We'll create this milestone uh, contract where if I get phase three, I get this much. If I get phase two, you get this much. If I hit, you know, this much in sales, we get this much. And then in China, you partner with somebody else. And then in the United States, you partner with somebody else. Um, so those are, that's a unique business model. So I like, I'm more interested in, in the biotech space and under, in finding those than pure, um, you know, gene therapy uh companies because those things can can really just wipe you out on any on any news 
and yeah. it's and you have to have a temperament where like the nasdaq could be up big like you know microsoft could be up 25 percent, and that thing's down 50 and like you haven't you know i mean you have to be okay with that right so so that's hard so i i always start with the picks and shovels and go down and sort of find those unique business models as well if you kind of deconstruct the um west pharmaceuticals or the or the abbots and you know the 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 kind of um the the pot of gold at 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 the end of this rainbow that that we're trying to paint is basically look like how can we identify the west pharmaceuticals and the abbots before they become completely obvious to the rest of the investing universe um and are there are there a couple you know threads or a couple key insights um that 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 you can take from whether it's a west pharmaceuticals or whether it's you know another one of these like Charles River or something like that, where you can then apply those models to, let's say, an earlier stage, um, you know, biotech company that's trying to become, you know, one of these like big compounders. And is there a way that you can say like, okay, like this worked for West and I can see how West used this over time to create this business. And I see that the same thing is happening in this other company that not many people are focused on. Like, do you kind of understand where I'm tracking there? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the best, the, the way that I think about it is, especially in a bear market, right? Like if you have to be, you have to be showing that you have some kind of moat and a moat could be anything. A moat could be a patent. It could be regulatory capture. It could be um, a number of things. The moats that I'm more interested in are regulatory capture moats and patents, right? Other kinds of moats like network effects, those are flimsy. Look what happened to Facebook, right? Network effect is only as good as the strength of the network and a network can unravel. So I, I like, regulatory capture and uh, IP protection is like the biggest moats for me. So if I look at something like West Charles Rivers, Replicate, Danaher, Thermal Fisher, all these like compounder stocks, they are the biggest beneficiaries of regulatory capture. They are the tax for you taking Tylenol or, you know, you taking insulin or, you know, you taking any kind of drug that you need, uh, cholesterol drug, whatever, you know. Um, like, like, and, and, and they're attacks on innovation, you know, uh, Novartis, uh, a couple of weeks ago is coming up with a new way to, to take cholesterol. Usually you take cholesterol drug once a day, little pill. Now they've sort of developed a situation where you go to your doctor every six months and you take a shot and that's it. That's your cholesterol for the year. Two shots. There's your cholesterol medication, right? That's highly innovative, right? Like, ah, oh, someone doesn't take a pill every day. That's awesome. But, um, who's going to be delivering that drug? It's going to be West. So I always like to look at what are some of the small companies that are in the, are in the uh, process of building out those regulatory captures. So the ones that I think is the big, will be, might be the biggest winner is Clearpoint because they have, I think it's 130 patents uh, and they have also, or it's definitely in the uh, high nineties. And um, they also have the delivery mechanism for, for uh, drug trials and they charge you if a drug gets approved, that's one thing, but you know, they also charge you going from phase one to phase two or phase two to phase three, mm-hmm. right? You're going to use that cannula delivery tube, um, going through those trials. Right. And so regard, they don't care that, I mean, they obviously do care in the sense that we hope this therapy improves a patient's quality of life like that's their mission but whether or not you have a bust of a drug or another company comes along 
they're going to use that kind of mechanism because they have a virtual monopoly on the delivery mechanism and also real-time MRI. It's very, how else are you going to deliver submillimeter uh, therapy of a drug in the brain without real-time MRI versus impossible. So having that ecosystem where you have a regulatory capture through the delivery system, heavy IP protection, plus just creating an ecosystem where a neurologist who's a professional he's not going to switch providers every other week, yeah. right? He's going to stick with what he knows. So if he's used to this delivery mechanism with this software, with this uh, MRI machine, then he's going to probably use it for a while. Um, and so you have that stickiness in terms of the customer base and, you know, that creates pricing power. Um, so that's what I look for when it comes to, uh, to these kinds of businesses, like what are the early ones that have that sort of regulatory capture? Mm -hmm. um, so a company like ClearPoint is something that, it reminds me a lot about OS, where when something is listed on an FDA application, that's for the life of the drug. And that it becomes a de facto delivery mechanism and you're not gonna change that, you can't. You wanna do another $50 million trial just to change the delivery mechanism? No, you're not, right? It's too costly. Your patent's clock is ticking. Um, so, and then the other kinds of modes are again, like IP protection. Like if someone's got a patent on a drug that is highly promising and that can cure a really deadly disease with a large po patient population, then that's a moat, right? A moat, at least for a certain period of time. So those are the ones that I look for that are forming the West. It's very difficult to find like the next, you know, West and Charles Rivers and all the Preplogens and et cetera. It's more, I, it's, um, I think finding those regulatory captures are, are important. If I, if I look at Replogen, it's a $9 billion business, but it's done, I think, 50X in 10 years, something stupid, okay? It's probably gonna be out of the SP 500. And it started off as a sole supplier of protein A ligands, which are proteins needed to make vaccines and therapeutics. And they had a virtual monopoly on that. And so they're like, hmm, if I have a virtual monopoly on this and it's locked into five-year contracts, and anytime I have a supplier giving me proteins to make a vaccine, I got to list it and report it to the FDA. How about I start rolling up original equipment manufacturers like fluid systems and unique valves and hollow fiber systems and analytic tools and diagnostic tools. So that's exactly what they did. <clears throat> And then their revenue just jumped like crazy. Mm -hmm. And anytime you're using one of those uh, OEM manufacturers, you have to, again, report it to the FDA. And if you want to switch a supplier, you have to, again, like there's a transition period, usually five years uh, to, you know, switch that <laughs> supplier, which is a pain in the butt. And no one in their right mind is going to insource uh, an OEM or supplier because mm -hmm. that's just legal suicide. And why would you do that? So, so wait, why is it, those why are is sort it of suicide? And the only, the, the only reason why I'm asking is because I want to, I want to learn, I want to try to learn as much as I can from a lot of the stuff that I don't know. So why, why would it not be beneficial for those people to kind of insource all of that? A lot of it is just liability. Got it. Like you want to off, off put the liability to somebody else in case something happened. And then obviously they're going to have contracts. They're going to be rock solid in, in limiting that liability and having disclaimers, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of it's very rare for a large uh, company to sort of develop their own OEM or, you know, have their own supplies of 
a particular uh, monoclonal antibody or whatever it is that they need or cells, proteins, whatever, to create that drug. Now, some of the big pharma, they can, they do have, they do create their own software or they do have their own uh, systems in place during the manufacturing process. But in terms of uh, regular pharmaceutical companies, there's a reason why Thermo Fisher and Danaher are $300 billion giants and, you know, why Charles Rivers is in the multi-billions and was $30 billion business because you're not going to insource that. You're always going to contract out or buy from a supplier outright uh, just for legal, like shifting the liability as well. And plus, it's not your skill set. You, you don't know how to develop those kinds of systems and processes. Um, GE Healthcare tried to do it, but it's going to take five years for them to transition away from um, using other suppliers into going full in house. But back to the original question, which is what are some of the things that I look for for the next West or Charles Rivers? I just look for what are the companies that are currently trying to or at least have a little bit of a, a head start in terms of ca capturing regulatory like a moat or having regulatory capture. That's like these, those are the, and that's hard to figure out yeah. you know, when, you, when you're doing it, but that's what I would do. It's biotech is and and you know obviously trying to trying to find like the next west and the next abbot like it's a it's a it's a flamboyant question um and yeah obviously yeah. it's it's not it's not realistic but i think what it does is kind of helps us understand um what 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 you were getting at where it's like look like there's these big business model types of regulatory capture where it's like it's not necessarily like once you have regulatory capture, you're going to be the next, you know, West pharmaceuticals, yeah, obviously right. not, but it's an ingredient that a lot of those tended to have at the early stages, which again, I think is important, but um, ClearPoint and biotech in general, you can, it's, it's, it's a little bit dangerous in the fact that I look at ClearPoint and you talk to me about the tech and you discuss like how the regulatory capture is there and how, um, you know, like their, their, their mode against the competition and how high the switching costs are. And then I look at its market cap, which is, uh, I think it's like $200 million or something like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this is where it kind of gets scary. Cause like, if you, if you think about the technology and you think about the applications, it's like, man, like, why can't this thing be a 10 to $20 billion business? Um, and like, that's, I mean, it's scary in the sense of like, you know, Hey, like if you have that opinion and, 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 and you bet a lot and you know, you're wrong, like, obviously you're going to get screwed, but like, it's just biotech is, 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 is special in that space where you can kind of throw out these wild potential enterprise values. And, and, and you have a company like ClearPoint that's less than $200 million in current market cap. Yeah. And to your question, could it be, be 10, 20? Yeah, it absolutely could. It's definitely possible because, and you have to always think of multiple expansion too. Like the typical, the typical med tech company due to its patent protection and regulatory, again, regulatory moat, um, they're going to command double digit multiple on revenue, right? Like go look at from uh, Edward Life Science to, to Intuitive Surgical. They're all in the sort of 13, you know, double digit times, uh, multiple revenue sometimes in the 20s sometimes in the 30 depends on the growth depends on sort of where they are in that patent life cycle it depends on the obviously the patient population and education this is all de dependent on that stuff but if you're just like what's the, what's a fair multiple slap on it and like slap you can even slap 
like a free cash flow multiple if you want, right? But I'm saying it's typically the free cash flow multiples or, F or free cash flow yields are always low. They are in the like one, like some of them are 0.3 to like three, you know, like that's it. Yeah. And if you get it at the three, then like load the truck. And if you get it at, you know, lower, then obviously it depends on the kind of business it is. But if you look at Replogen, it wasn't that long ago when like Replogen's 9 billion business right now, 10 billion, 11. Mm -hmm. And it's up like what, 50x or something stupid, like 30x in 10 years. So, so, so like it wasn't that long ago where it was about 100 million. Um, and it's only, you know, it's now become a compounder stock. Like it's sort of, you know, like, well, this is going to be added to the SP 500 at some point, you know. Um, and have like a billion in revenue and do like spit out like you know hundreds of millions in free cash over the, over its life um but clearpoint could become that um it wasn't that long ago that intuitive surgical which is 100 billion i think is up like what like you know 120 times right so at some point it was a small company um that, that that's the thing with some of these medical device companies or some biotech where they do they start becoming really big businesses right it wasn't long ago the Moderna was not not known right right um so it's possible it really just depends on execution and it depends on um a lot of factors right what's the revenue growth where's the free cash flow coming do they need to raise money do they need to dilute shareholders um you know where are, are they where are they in their life cycle? Are they off to the races? Like Clearpoint's a bit more, it's still early, but they're sort of off to the races, so to speak. Like they're, they have an FDA approved product. There's real revenue. They have these centers of excellence where you can do the procedures in, you know, there's growth in that business. There's free cash flow expectation uh, in the next year or so. Um, like there's real momentum versus, you know, an FDA three drug, which doesn't have, or company, an FDA three drug that doesn't have real revenue right. and doesn't have any business real. You're sort of, that's where you got dive more to the science. Um, but th those businesses can also, you know, go from a hundred million to 5 billion or 4 billion, depending on obviously the, the, the market, the indication, the patient population and sort of the go to market strategy. When, when you think about allocating funds and, and, and structuring a portfolio around some of these names, obviously those that are listening, they're not all you know, pure biotech investors. So this, this might be just a subsection of, of kind of their overall portfolio, which might have some consumer, might have some technology, energy. Um, when, you, when you consider, I think, I think there's kind of two mindsets here and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the 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 first mindset we'll call it mindset a is pick kind of the best of breed um companies whether it's a west a crl a clearpoint or you know maybe maybe not a clearpoint because that's not necessarily a proven kind of best of breed but pick like a west an abbott and just kind of load load up on those and kind of put that in as your biotech bucket and say that's it i'm just going to allocate x percent there and then kind of the other option option b is I'm going to create this kind of call option basket of some of these higher, higher growth potential, but, but more higher risk, like a clear point um, or, you know, some of these other, you know, 
fringe phase one, phase two mm-hmm. might, might have some things there. And then you just get a basket of like five to 10 of them and say, okay, like that's my biotech basket. What, what, mm-hmm. what kind of do you like, well, first, how, do, how, how would you structure it personally? And then for someone that's trying to dip their toes into the space, what do you think is maybe the more optimal solution? If, if you're dipping your toes in the space, then I would go with uh, option A. And just because because of the unusual circumstances that's going on right now in biotech, you know, I, I don't think you need to go that far down the risk threshold. And it's like, you know, if you bought, if you bought, um, I don't know, Halliburton in, you know, when oil hit negative in April, 2020, uh, or ExxonMobil, or one of the big oil majors or pioneer versus, you know, a small cap ONG explorer, explorer, um, do you really need to go down that threshold to make big returns? Like, you know, those stocks did really well since April of, la- of 2020, right? Um, and so if I'm sort of crafting a portfolio and I wanted to sort of have a biotech or healthcare exposure, it would be the sort of compounders that are going to be a perpetual tax on biotech in general, because then you don't have to also time markets to a degree. Right. Like you can literally set it and forget it. And they're, they're, they have like, there is a division in Charles Rivers, their anti, uh, I think it's their microbial solution. Their microbial solution has done 10% revenue growth for 25 years. Like that's unheard of. <laughs> it's, 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 it's silly. Like you say that to somebody and you're like, you're insane. Yeah. Um, it's not just Charles Rivers. So I know Matt Thunderdome, he, he likes uh, Aquivia. IQV is a symbol, which is similar to Charles Rivers. Like there's a whole group of them. There's like Icon PLC in Ireland. There's IQV. There's um, Charles Rivers. There's a, the sort of June, the baby Charles Rivers, which is MedPace. It's like a faster growing uh, sort of CRO, but more for the small biotech uh, side. So that's another way you can play it too. Charles Rivers is more like the big elephant in the room. And you know, Charles Rivers is like a tax on venture capital because every VC fund who's invested in biotech is going to use them. And they also have like this innovation center where like any new like invention that happens, like, they have this like a, uh, they have like, like an internal VC innovation hub in there too. So because like, it's, it's just a behemoth business, right? Yeah. So there's other, there's other players there that you, that you could also like play in. Um, there's also the contract manufacturers. Uh, or the CDMOs, contract manufacturing is a little bit of a lower. It's a, um, less of a moat uh, because there's not there's some regulatory capture, but not that much. Uh, but needless to say, I would play it that way just because it's highly unusual what's going on in that whole space. Now, some of it's offset by COVID. Like some of these guys, these guys have done well last year in COVID because the vaccine manufacturers are going to all use them. Yeah. Right. But the other stuff that's going on here is um, going to be more valuable. Right. Like a vaccine costs, you know, tens of dollars, let's say, to charge or whatever it is. It's nowhere near. Um, it's like the equivalent charge of a flu shot, maybe a bit more because of the urgency. But gene therapy is gonna, is is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So when you have those kinds of numbers being thrown around for these kinds of therapies, well, value is going to accrete into these big players and they're going to charge a pretty penny to deliver any of that stuff because they know that there's a high risk, high 
high-valued uh, delivery mechanism. If you want to play like the call option style, the, the issue is you just got to pay attention to it because anything can happen and, you know, you have to be okay with potentially losing, you know, all your capital effectively or having it dead for a while. So another thing too that people have to understand is biotech, even though it's IP heavy and these guys have these massive uh, like patents, like there's innovations happening all the time, right? Like if, you know, there could be a new drug that comes out that sort of changes the dynamic of how something is cures a disease. And, uh, you know, like taking a pill to cure brain cancer or at least not cure cancer, but let's say extend life down the line, there might be somebody who's already developing uh, another treatment for it that, you know, changes quickly. And obviously I'm, I'm, I'm using very simple, like high level, like even in that situation, doctors will use different kinds of treatments for different things. Like that's, yeah, it's just, it's, you still worry about it. You know, it's not, it's not like set and forget where you don't have to think about it. You know, like that's sort of like the approach. Um, whereas if you invest in sort of that first bucket that you mentioned, like you, you got this 20 year chance where you or you know, yeah, 20 year, I would say chance where you can compound and not worry about it too much. Well, the other thing too, with the call option type bets is like the discounter, basically the innovation tax you would have to employ on whatever, you know, future cash flows you're modeling for ha- has to be substantially high because of the yeah, right. risk. So like the yeah. pill that works today there could be some kid at, at MIT or, or, or Caltech that's like taking an elective course that accidentally creates something that makes your pill completely worthless. And it's like, well, dad, right. how do you, how do you tax that in whatever DCF model you're using? Like that's, that to me is so incredibly challenging. Um, and I don't know how you yes. sleep well at night, like going to bed, knowing that millions and billions of dollars are going to try to make, you know, the current iteration of what you're doing better. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, I always sort of just do like, just put your first level thinking hat on for a second, right? Like, you know, Omicron and COVID has decimated hospitals, shut down clinical trials, quarantine, locked down the world. Okay. And now we're sort of waking up from the sleep and at the end of the day, people are going to die. People got to pay tax and people are going to take their drugs. And there's only so many ways that they can take the drug. They can pop a pill. They can take it as shot in the arm or infuse it in some way, which is the same as shot in the arm. And so like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to, that is not going to have disruption, right? Drugs got to get, it's got to prick the skin. It's got to get in there somehow. Yep. And the FDA pretty much holds a, holds control over that approach. And so I'm like, okay, like, if I'm going to make a bet on clinical trials starting to gain momentum and these over 6,000 compounds, which are the most in history in clinical trials right now, I'm going to bet that they're going to be maybe let's say 20% fail, 25, 30, 40, whatever. You still have a record number of compounds and they're going to be consumed in some similar way. So I'd rather make that bet than trying to bet the, specific call option the only time i make a call option would be like or investment would be like something so compelling that it was just it's just it's just so obvious right and that's sort of the attraction with clearpoint i guess because um it's sort of 
it's I wouldn't say it's more of a call option. It's more like a super early. Uh, it's it's already had it already has the revenue. It already has high gross margin. It already has a real business. It's more just if you take away Omicron, well, more people are going to go get their Parkinson's treatment or their uh, their their treatment to for their epileptic seizures, which like Clearpoint already does. And then there's this other element, which is the drug delivery, where, okay, if the trials happen for gene therapy or for, you know, a, a novel method to, for glioblastoma, which is brain cancer, well, here's this new this system that you're going to have to deliver it somehow. Either you take a pill and it, somehow that molecule penetrates the blood brain barrier, or you can use this big needle to inject it right into the brain. You don't have to worry about the liver, the kidneys, the heart, the pancreas, et cetera. And so I don't have to worry, or you know, an investor doesn't have to worry too much about, you know, uh, patent clips and different kinds of uh, mechanisms and technologies that are going to, you know, wipe the indication or the way the indication is done, like in a in different way. Whereas certain kinds of gene therapy, it's not just only new technology comes about, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Like, there's many times when someone goes to phase three and like, wow, this is probably gonna, this is real. And phase three bust, and then the company's like, we got to go back to the drawing board. Like you make it four or five years into phase three, and like you got to go back, start from day one. Like that's painful, right? So it's another big risk. I just I think right, you don't need. I don't think you need to go down that far. I think there are some inter interesting opportunities in the XBI for sure, and some will do like hundred X. But I'm not sure it's unless you're highly skilled or you know exactly what what you're doing there. It's probably not the best. Approach. You mentioned, and kind of one of the reasons we we jumped on this podcast was you were getting a bunch of inbound questions about the biotech space, and mainly from the value investing community that's seeing these net cash plays or just this industry that's bombed out. And you know, hey, like a lot of these companies are trading around their fifty-two week lows. Like maybe I can dig in here. What are what are some of the most common questions you get from from people in the in the financial Twitter community about? um biotech investing in general or like maybe maybe if you've noticed like a lot of blind spots or a lot of um heuristics that might be incorrect about how people see this space i don't think they so the, the biggest thing is a lot of this is like generalists trying to reach out in terms of trying to understand the space a bit more yeah and and it's sort of you can tell that they're not understanding the regulatory capture here and um so a lot of it, it's not even just the, the, the pure biotechs. Like there's a lot of really, biotechs fintwit is quite smart. Like there, it's, uh, it's almost like there should be a paywall for it because there's a lot of MDs from, you know, UPenn or big schools that are, you know, they, they just, they write these journals of like the science behind a particular drug candidate or molecule and you start diving deep and it's like this is like a research paper level they synthesize research level paper into 10 tweets and you're like holy cow yeah. like it's wild stuff um the stuff i mostly get is like people didn't know that like west pharmaceutical is owned 70 percent market share of syringes and drug delivery they didn't know that 90 percent of biologics went through west they don't know that packages get listed on the FDA on an FDA application they you know they don't know that you know Charles Rivers is 35% market share and 80% of all drug, FDA approved drugs since 2018 
Charles River had a hand in. So it's more like, it's more, they're interested, they see these things, maybe they buy the XBI, but um, <clears throat> there's no grasp or I guess rigor in terms of uh, understanding what's going on here. They'll just look at a multiple and say, oh, that's really expensive, I'm gonna stay away. Like you don't, you haven't done any homework on this. And, um, and so the, 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 the more approach of why we're interested in is, again, you have this, um, obviously the healthcare sector is the defensive sector. It's gonna do better in a recession. It's gonna do better in a macro environment. Charles Rivers maybe is much more volatile because of the CapEx requirements. But generally speaking, it's got pricing power. People are gonna take their medications, et cetera. But it's this, ever since we saw these, these the XBI go through what it's going through. This is, we're talking about historic unprecedented levels. Um, that's going to just flow up to the picks and shovels uh, yeah. in a way that we've never seen before. And I don't think the market's ready for that. So something that looks optically expensive, just wait until you see some of the dollars that are going to flow out of this into, into these picks and shovels. You know, like can Thermo Fisher hit a trillion market cap? Probably. You know, can Dan Danaher hit a trillion? I think they're like 250 billion. Probably going to get there. You know, and they're going to be more integrated. They're going to know that the market is, these things are going to grow for a, a, a large amount for a long time. Hmm. And so that's sort of where we're sort of seeing the more interest where we're like, I'm interested in healthcare, but it looks optically expensive. And, you know, like, why do you like this company so much? Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, you could just tell there's no, they haven't done much work on it. And, um, and more about educating generally. Uh, why these are good businesses, but it's not just they're good businesses, it's they're good businesses and they're facing unusual circumstances. That's sort of like the, the balance of it. Got it. Well, Peter, this has been an incredible conversation. We discussed a lot here in like this hour 15. Um, I, I'm so glad you reached out and kind of wanted to do something like this because I, I got a, a ton smarter and there's, gosh, I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, there's eight ideas, eight companies that, that, that I can put on my watch list now. And so I know those listening are going to be very thankful for that. Um, if, if people want to touch base with you to chat, ask questions, where can they do that? Yeah. So you could reach out to us on Twitter. Also, we, uh, we post blog, uh, every month or so. Uh, so sign up for that. That's free. It's, uh, it's on our website. Uh, we just released one yesterday actually we talked about the healthcare uh dynamic and what the market what's going on in the market now we actually have some interesting pretty shocking charts actually too uh, on that blog post uh but yeah you could reach out to us on twitter on our emails our emails are on our website uh we're always happy to connect with people awesome and then i'm going to ask you for the second time now if you could have dinner with one person from the past or the present who would it be and why <laughs> Uh, I, I would say, uh, I would say Charles Munger. He's one of my favorite guys and I know he's getting old and, you know, it'd be a shame if I didn't have a chance to chat with him before he died. So that would, that would be my answer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm racing against the clock. That yeah. one, so. That's gotta be one of the most original non-investor answers I think I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I, know. I, I think my first one was like, 
Alexander the Great when we first thought, chatted or something historical. I'm like, look, like the guy's about to, you know, he's got maybe 15 years. You know, I'm just going to use him as an example. And the next one, I'll give you a, a different answer. So. Hey, it's all good, man. Thanks so much again for coming on the show, Peter. Um, I can't, I can't wait to release this. And again, thank you so much for dropping your knowledge and, and giving everyone some ideas that they can think about and research on their own. For sure. It's always a pleasure to chat. This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive.